I have a, a root beer in my hands. Um, I'm not sure that root beer has ever been on the pulpit before, but today we're going to set a little B, uh, BGBC history. This is a gift for our dads. As you all exit today, don't be taking one if you're not a dad. I've got them counted. There's a little camera back there. I know who you are. But dads, we love you. And this is your sweet pastor, uh, Matt Dixon. This is his way of honoring you this morning. Uh, I think the ladies got chocolate. I think I'd rather have the chocolate myself, but uh, that's not the brand of root beer that I grew up with. So it's just not as good as A&W. You know, they, they, were, they were the thing. If you all remember, I... I a cold, a cold root beer with ice, vanilla ice cream on a hot summer day. When I lived in Wisconsin, we were three miles out of town, a little town called Eagle River. We'd get on our bikes, and we rode into town, and, and that was, I mean, it was the highlight of the year to get that root beer and that vanilla ice cream. Uh, kids don't know today uh, what they're missing, having to ride six miles to get ice cream, but I'm not kidding. That's what we did. You know, I, I got to thinking about today being Father's Day, and, and I do believe it's probably my, my favorite thing uh, to get to be a dad. Uh, anybody out there agree that it's pretty awesome? It has its incredibly difficult moments, but isn't that true of anything out there worth having? Uh, it's, it's tough, and it's glorious, kind of like marriage, I guess, <laughs> all, all at one, all in one. And so, God, we thank you. I, I, am, I am unapologetic that God made man and woman, and for many of us, he called us into marriage. He gave us kids. It's, it's a miracle of God's design, uh, man, woman, and, and if he blesses you with kids. And as I have been uh, blessed with grandchildren, you know, it's like, Lord, what a, what a triple blessing that is. I've got a little six-month-old now, a little Abner, and he's, he's a lot of fun. I've got a little Charlotte coming up next month, too, so y'all, y'all pray for that. That's going to be fun. Um, I thought about my dad. We all know my, my, I was born in Montana. Um, There's many days I wish I was in Montana so I could go hiking, but my dad was in the Air Force, and I have a couple of memories. After we got out of the Air Force, uh, we stayed there for a while, and he got to working on this big ranch. You don't call them farms out there. You call them ranches. But uh, it was a big wheat, wheat, wheat ranch, and he, he drove his combine, and he'd, he'd just make this square all day long getting this wheat in. Um, I have a memory. I was about four. Uh, they called us. Uh, an emergency had happened, and I was like, oh, my Lord. I didn't even know what that was, but Mom was kind of upset, so I knew something wasn't right. Well, somehow Dad cut his finger off in that combine. But I didn't see him there. They had already taken him to the hospital. And so when I saw my great big dad with all that beard and hair, he was, he was in a white gown laying on a white sheet in a hospital bed. And uh, you can imagine that was a shocker to me, but he was laughing. And I thought, there was a rule that's come into my life. If you ever find yourself in a white gown on a white table, people just start laughing and have fun with it, because that's exactly what he did. 
And so I'll, I'll have that memory uh, in my life. He always went around, you know, I was like, Dad, how are you, how you going to make it with only four fingers? But he did good. Uh, I have another memory. We had geese out there. And I asked my dad a few years ago, I said, I said Dad, why don't you put me down there in that pen with those geese? Because I have a memory of him holding me and this goose had a hold of me. And we were both off the ground, and I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of geese to this day, but he, I said, Dad, why'd you put me down there in that pen? He said, son, I didn't put you down there in that pen. He said, I was getting you out of the pen. I felt so relieved after that. I thought maybe all this time, all these years, I thought he was just being mean to me, putting me down in there with those geese. So we, I had a wrong perspective of, of that particular event. That I'm grateful for my dad, and he, he wasn't the, what you'd necessarily call a Christian man, but I pray that he's in heaven with the Lord. I don't know. Uh, I left him the gospel uh, while he was in the hospital, and, and I, said, I said, Dad, would you read this? He said, yes, son, I'll read it. And he looked at me and said, do you have to be in the room when I do it? I said, no, Dad, I don't have to be in the room. And I left him with the gospel, so I don't know. I, I don't know what happened after that, but God knows what happened after that. I do want to talk about being uh, a man of God today. Uh, and ladies, you all are included in this. Um, but as a, as a young man, being in Montana, being in Wisconsin, being in Ohio, finally coming to Tennessee, I had a very different, different definition of what a man was from my childhood. My, all, all of them were bearded, they wore overalls, they chewed tobacco, and they drank. And if the car broke down, it was no problem. You just called them. And they came. And so my definition of a man when I was a kid was he, he, had, to, he had to be pretty tough, um, very capable, and had to laugh in the midst of trial no big deal, son. We got this, you know. I've learned since then that being tough, uh, capable, funny, rich, handsome, all these things that we could enjoy and appreciate in a man are not the things that God has said for us to be. Amen? They don't come up to the standard of God. And my question to us today is, what is, what is it that you are seeking to become as a man of God? What's the highest, the highest thing, the highest call? I believe that highest call is to be a man of faith. It's a little different than being a faithful man, even though they're tied together. A man of faith. Are you a person are you a person that just says, God, yes, I believe. And no matter what horrible things might go on around me, God, I'm not going to let what I see pull me off of what I know you to be. God, I'm going I'm to have my eyes on you and all the stuff that's going on around me in life. I'm going to see it. I'm going to feel it. But I'm not going to be guided by that. I'm going to be guided by what you have said. A man of faith. At my funeral, I'd love for that to be the topic. He was a man of faith. I pray that that's the case. A man of faith, I believe he feeds his faith, doesn't he? He feeds it. 
It doesn't, it doesn't just happen on its own. It, it becomes a goal that you have, that I'm going to grow in my faith in understanding who God is. That man lives his faith. He, he teaches that faith to other people. He obeys that faith. Faith stands quietly between what I see and what God has said. And I see God answer my prayers and I declare his praise. So number one, y'all, I just want us to kind of sell out to a new goal, especially you men. That the number one thing that I pursue in my life is to be a man of faith. That I read the word, I understand what Jesus has called me to, and I make that my priority. It's not going to happen accidentally, is it? You're not going to wander into that, becoming a man of faith. I wrote down, uh, being a man of faith means I believe God's promises. I picked out three of my favorites, and I'm setting myself up here because some of y'all are going to say, uh-uh, those aren't the most important. I said they're my favorites, okay? You can have your favorites. My three favorite promises, I turned 56 this year. My first and foremost promise is the promise that Jesus has given me eternal life. Amen? Some of you old men know that that one gets more precious to us every day. We're supposed to be thinking about eternity. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, what's it say? You may know. You may know that you have eternal life, and you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So guys, did Jesus want us to know we have eternal life? And he wants to live in the excitement of that. I am excited about eternal life. I'm so excited about what God has in store. I can't even, I hope there's a lot of hiking trails. I hope there is trout fishing. I would say deer hunting, but that might get somebody a little mad at me this morning, but I don't know what God's got. I think, it, I think it's going to be just enjoying the presence of God, first of all, right? We're not even going to have to have a fishing rod to do that. But I'm sure it would help to have a good fishing rod. But anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. We know, there's that word again, that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we know we have a building from God. Guess what? It's a better building than the one we have now. It's not made with hands. It's an eternal building. So number one, I want to share with you my favorite promise, promise that I cling to, is just a, that I am not the end of the story. And my, my, my monument, if my wife chooses to buy me one or not, I don't know, is not the end of my story. And I have faith in God's promise of eternal life. I, number two, I have, God, I have God's promise of purpose for my life. How many of y'all need purpose? How important is purpose? I had a, a starter go out on our little 2000 Nissan. And I, I love Japanese food, don't get me wrong. Whoever put that starter in that particular place on that car, um, don't let me anywhere around that guy. So that thing went out, and, and I was scared. I just like, okay, I, it was like 450 bucks to get this thing put on. And that's if you can find a good one. So I called my, my dear friend, Rick Hips. I was like, Rick, you know, I'm scared. Hey, Chad, you can do that. I believe in you. You can do it. Come over here. I'll give you some tools. I went over, and I got some tools, and I got in there. I was praying like a madman. You know, and so 
I got through all that, and man, I, after about five days, I got it rebuilt. I put it back in, and I turned that key, and you all have no, no idea what that felt like for that car to start. It was the most exciting moment outside of marriage that I've ever had in my life. It was like that little Japanese starter started spinning. What's that got to do with purpose? Have you noticed that all the, the things that are difficult that we don't want to face, God helps us through them and we look back on them? And now I'm, if you need a Nissan worked on, I am your guy. I have so much confidence now. Uh, but it took a little, but, but just purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I'm so grateful that God called us to purpose. Listen to this one. Guys, this is just the intro to the message, so get comfortable. 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Is there any purpose in that? a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his light. So there's my purpose for my life. I am a proclaimer of Jesus. When people talk to me, Jesus ought to come out eventually pretty close in that conversation. I'm a proclaimer. Are you a proclaimer of the excellence of Jesus? How's that for purpose in your life? And how are you doing there? The promise of eternal life, the promise of purpose, and I love this last one before I get started on my message, the promise of blessing. This one means a lot to me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Have you ever noticed that when you obey the Lord, blessing comes? When you're in sin and you've, you're following that glittery path of emptiness and you sin, all that promise of pleasure is gone and you're plunged into despair and guilt and shame, when you obey the Lord, He blesses you. I wouldn't be standing here today telling you this if it wasn't true. What does 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, say? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having, some of y'all need this this morning, do you know that you are all sufficient in all things? Not because of your skills, but because you have the blessing of the Holy Spirit in you. The Bible says, you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. I get up in the morning and I can face my day because I have that promise from Jesus. Amen? Some of y'all wake up out there. I get excited that God is going to bless me and make me all-sufficient because growing up and going through divorce, that's the first thing I learned is how insufficient I really am. And I've, I feel that every day. God says, okay, so you feel it. Get over yourself. I'm not insufficient. You are weak. I am not. So since I am strong, guess what, Chad? You are strong. Isn't that great how God has just done that in his majesty? God, I have a, guys, I have a promise that God made to Abraham. I want us to grow in faith. I want us to become, I want to become like Abraham in my faith. 
The Lord said to Abram, Genesis 12, 1-3, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all of the, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's us too. We are blessed in who Abraham was. But do you see that promise that God gave him? Abraham, get out, go. I'm going to bless you and make you great. Genesis chapter 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He said, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? The heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. He's about 75 years old at this point. And I know 75 today and 75 then was different. I get that. Indeed, one born into my house is my heir. God, I want a son. You've given me one, but he's, he's not the son from my wife. He was a son from a, a maiden, a handmaiden. Behold, the, wor- Lord, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but the one who will come from your own body. So this is the promise that Abraham had to start to have faith in. He had to start believing. And he brought him outside and he said, Look towards heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. Do you see the promise that God gave? Um, I can't even speak to what's going through Abraham's mind. Um, If my history is right, he goes about another 25 years before this promise comes to reality. So he's trudging along, coming up to 100, and wondering where this child is. Um, Verse 6, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So God... God loved Abraham's faith there. He just loved the fact that Abraham believed. And God said he accounted it to him for righteousness. I can imagine what Abraham went through when he went home and he started talking to his old man friends. You know, we old men stick together. We've got old man friends. And he began to tell them, hey, guess what? God's promised me a baby. I'm not quite sure how that went with all those other old men. I'd like to have heard some of those conversations. And they, they went home and talked to their wives. You guys are not going to believe what Abraham is telling everybody. He's, he's slipping. He's slipping. Um, a fabulously unbelievable promise that God would bless this old couple with a child. Abraham believed it. Uh, and guess what? This faith set him up for a test. We're going to go through testing, are we not? Some of y'all are right smack dab in the middle of the worst test you've ever been in of your faith. If not today, tomorrow. Um, how are you going to come through that? How are you going to come through that test? I think if you're not preparing for it, that's a problem. God tested Abraham, and and, in Genesis 22, this story has haunted me since I was a kid. I didn't understand this when I first read it. Guys, the battle, the war, the test, it is coming into your life. It's going to be the death of someone you love. It's going to be a diagnosis that you can't believe. It's going to be a relationship that 
escapes your control and you're going to be crying out to God and you're going to be wondering, is God even there right now? And all the work you've done to ground yourself into faith is either going to work for you or you're going to just flounder and you're going to fail because you haven't built your faith. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Here's the test, and many of you all know this story. Some of you all may be hearing it for the first time. came to pass after these things, God tested Abraham, and he said, Abraham, and he said, here I am, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer them there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Y'all, I don't even have words to understand that or explain it except, God, this was my promised son that you gave me, and now you're telling me to take him to the altar and sacrifice him. Are y'all with me? Catch the difficulty of what God is testing Abraham with. It's beyond my ability to understand it. But there's some scriptures that show us what's going on in Abraham's mind, and we'll look at those in in a moment. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the offering, and he arose, and he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, three days have passed. Abraham lifted his eyes, and he saw the place. Abraham said to his young men, tell me if you all see faith in this verse. Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Amen? Does Abraham have faith in his father? Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. And Isaac, But Isaac spoke to his father, and, and, and he said, Father, here I am, son. Look, the fire, the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And the two of them went together. They came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there. He placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son. Y'all, can you imagine this young man allowing himself to be bound? I think that this man of faith, Abraham, had already passed his faith in God onto his son. And his son submitted to his dad, binding his arms. I think this is evidence of the faith of Abraham, but not just his faith, but his burden to pass that faith. Guys, what's the greatest thing I can give my kids? It's not a big house. It is faith, faith, faith in Jesus. They got to see it. They got to see me come through the fire. They got to see me proclaiming the name of Jesus through the fire. That's what I pass on. That's what you pass on. Amazing. Verse 10. The Bible says, Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, and he said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God. This was the test, since you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. Abraham lifted his eyes, and he looked, and behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket. 
Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And he called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Does anybody know what that word is in Hebrew? I didn't. I should have. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The God who will provide. Some of y'all need to know today that your faith is in a good place because he is the God who will provide. And he will do it in his way and in his time. And he won't ask what you want him to do. He's going to do it because he's God the Father. He's going to do it his way. He's going to do it better than you could ever imagine that he would do it. He may do it after you're dead. He never promised that we would not go through suffering and death and cancer and all the horrible things that happen to people every day in this world, but he will be faithful. I think about, we get images of earth now from the satellites, and you know, I, we can see this side of the earth, and you and I are so busy being consumed in our little day-to-day. -day. I leave today on a mission trip. I've got to go home and pack, and I've got that on my mind, and you know, what's the food going to be like tonight over there on this mission trip? Do they know what they're doing? Can they, what's my bed going to be like laying on that floor in that gym? You know, I have my eyes on my little bitty life. Guess where God's eyes are? He sees like the satellite and far beyond the satellite. He sees us 7 billion people at one time. And all that's going on uh, from God's perspective, things look a little different than from mine. And when I, when I read the Word, it reminds me to see things from His perspective. And if He takes my life, and for whatever purpose He has for it, and uses it for that purpose, what do I say unto Him? Thank you, Jesus. I don't care if it's suffering or death or crucifixion or whatever, because that's what happened to the people in the Bible. Amen? None of them were spared from difficulties, and they were all in love with Jesus. God looks at Abraham and he says, Abraham, you're going to go through this test. We are going through testing. I think of the Doucette family today. Their burial is at 2 o'clock. Are they going through testing today? Pray for them today, please. We are going to go through these times. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham, verse 15, a second time. And he said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing, have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand. Is there more sand than there are stars? Or are there more stars than there are sand? I don't know. Uh, I wish I was in the sand right now. That'd be great. God says, listen, I want, to, I want you to look up and I want you to look down. I want you to look at the stars. I want you to look at the sand. There's my promise to you, Abraham. Your descendants will possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and they went together to Beersheba. Folks, that's faith, isn't it? I want to be super clear this morning. God's going to call you through the test, and by faith in Him, you will get through it, but you've got to grow your faith. You've got to be doing things. And I'm going to give you some things here in just a moment. God expects big faith in us. He expects big faith in us in the moments of horrific doubt, horrific pain, uh, horrible death. God wants us to look to Him. Yes, we are grieving, but we are grieving as men of faith. We are grieving as women of faith. 
Galatians 3, verse 5 through 8, sheds, sheds a little light on this. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you. I love that part of the verse. How many of y'all need the Spirit of God supplied to you today? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you. Guys, when we come up on our, pro- our problem, excuse me, we just see the problem. And we're, oh, woe is me, I've got this problem. What are we not seeing? We're not seeing the hand of God right behind that problem and how he's standing there and he's allowing this to happen because he's going to show you something bigger about who he is. A man of faith comes to the problem and he says, all right, God, I don't, I don't understand this one. I know you're standing right behind it, though. So, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to laugh. I'm going to love. I'm going to teach. I'm going to preach because I know in this trial and in this trouble, you are growing bigger in my heart, soul, and mind and my understanding of who you are. And God, I'm going to take that understanding. I'm going to pass it on to my family. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of? This is where you all talk. Faith. How important is faith to God? How important is your faith to God? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. I'm so grateful that Abraham responded with the faith that he did. He believed God. But remember, who's the one that gave him the faith in the first place? He didn't summon that from his own heart. Faith is a gift. We've got to remember to thank God for the gift of faith. That he supplies the Spirit to us. And he is the one busy doing miracles around us. All by faith. I love the fact that Abraham got the gospel preached to him, didn't he? That lamb that God will provide is Jesus on the cross. If you're here today and you're lost, God's not calling you to all of a sudden be good. He is supplying to you the lamb that makes you good. Amen? The blood of the ram in this story is a picture of the blood of the lamb that died on your behalf. So you are imputed with the righteousness of God. That doesn't mean you earned it, does it? That would be like you going home today and opening up my, my, my login. I almost said the name of my bank. My wife would not like that. I log in and I find that while I was here preaching today, some good-hearted person, I've got to think of a reasonable number, so this, this puts, put, put $15,000 in my account. That's what imputing is. It's, it's reckoning something. It's counting something as. So if, if I go home and there's $15,000 in my back, it's not because I earned it. It's because somebody did what? They placed it in there. That's where your righteousness comes from. It's not what you do. I'm sorry if you're Catholic this morning. I don't want to offend you. We're not credited righteousness by what we do, how many rosaries we pray. I grew up that way. I'm sorry. I'm an expert. When it comes to that, that is not how I get righteous. That's why I love the Baptists. They teach that my salvation is a gift by Jesus, and he imputes his righteousness into my account. I do absolutely nothing to deserve that. 
But at the end of that imputation, guess what? He, he takes my heart, and then I begin to get excited for him. I begin to live out that holiness. He didn't save me because I was good. He saved me because I was a rotten, unrighteous sinner. And he wanted to give me that gift. Galatians 3.8. Another passage we're about to be done this morning. Romans chapter 4. Listen to what God said about Abraham. He is Abraham. Did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. Y'all know those three days that he journeyed to get to where... There was a lot in his mind, but the Bible says it, he wasn't wavering during that time. Why did Abraham not waver? Because he knew that God had given him, the, the God who had given him the promise of a son. He knew that that God was with him. He didn't waver. Guys, in our, in our moments of difficulty, do we waver? The answer to that is probably what? Do you waver? In the test, yes. Do I waver in the test? Yes. Did Abraham have moments of wavering in his testing? Do you remember when he went into a couple of places, he told everybody that his beautiful wife, do you remember what he said? He started calling her sis. This is my sis. Because he didn't, just didn't believe that he was going to make it out of there without somebody grabbing up his wife. So he had his moments of, of wavering. But in this moment, the Bible says he didn't waver. Verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. I want you all to remember that. What God has promised you, he's able to perform it. Therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. And it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offense and was raised up because of our justification. Guys, you are righteous this morning if you have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have repented of your sins. You are good in God's sight because of God himself. He assigns that righteousness to you. He makes that deposit into your account. And I love that. And he made that deposit into who, whose account here in this story he made the account into Abraham's account too. He made that deposit. I love 1 Corinthians one twenty-eight, and this is us. The base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. The things which were not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Abraham, Hebrews eleven nineteen, he concluded that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. So Abraham believed even if that knife had gone into his son. Y'all, this is, this is uncomfortable stuff. Even if, if there had been blood on the altar, that, God, that was no problem for God the Father. That was no problem for God to heal that son. So Abraham didn't know which way it was going to go, did he? But he knew that that kid was in God's hands because that kid was a promise from God to an old man. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how challenged I am to have that kind of faith in my God. When I hear the bad news that people are going through, the bad news in my own life. But remember that 
Abraham failed too in, in faith. I wrote down some things as we close. How to grow our faith in Jesus. I want you to, I want you to have that as a goal. I want that to be what people talk about my life. Um, number one, if you're going to grow in your faith, just ask the Lord for you to grow in faith. God, that, that's what I want. I need that. I'm not that great in, in faith, Lord, on my own. Are y'all with me? Lord, Lord, help my faith to grow. I want to ask you to do that. Um, who did that? Luke chapter 1, verse 5. The disciples themselves asked the Lord to increase their faith. So I think that's a pretty biblical thing. I want to tell you, number two, <clears throat> obey what you know. Obey what you know, and God will bless you. Do the commandments of the Scripture. Obey what the Bible says, and your faith will grow. Have you ever noticed that sin, when you are in sin, how many of y'all been in sin this week? Okay, one person. Let's all gather <laughs> down here, around here. The one honest person in the room. Have you ever noticed that what happens in sin, your, your joy is gone? Amen? Uh, your hope, your enthusiasm, your love for people, <laughs> don't get in my way. <laughs> All of these things disappear when we do what the devil tempts us to do. I've lived, I've lived that. I know the truth of that. Some of y'all do too. All y'all do. All y'all. Our faith grows when we obey what we know God has commanded us to do. We get confident in Him. We get joyful in Him. We have authority in our souls because of, of Him. Uh, obedience, I think, is the second greatest thing we can do to increase our faith because our, our life in Jesus actually works when there's obedience. Amen? It works when there is obedience. Number three, uh, um, how do we increase our faith? We look back and we thank him for his many blessings. We just thank him. Some nights, I, I, I don't know what's happening at 2.30 in the morning is my magic time. It's my wake-up time. Does anybody else have a 2.30 wake-up time in the morning? Yes. All right, Daphne. It's like, Lord, okay. <laughs> what's up? Um. It's a great time to begin to thank God for all the blessings. If you're anxious about something, you're worried about something, guess what? That's not faith, is it? So begin to remember and thank Him for His many blessings. Number four, I wrote down, practice quietness and solitude. Go sit on the porch, don't have anything in your hands, and just sit there and say, Lord, I'm going to be quiet you are enough in this moment of quiet and solitude. Lord, touch my soul, heal my soul, fill my soul, God. Number five, read the Word, especially when you don't feel like it. How many of y'all would confess it's a tad hard to pick your Bible up and get to reading? Do I have any other honest? Katie, thank you. Guys, I know it's not always easy, and that's when we need it the most is when we don't want to 
Pick it up, begin to read it, memorize it. What's that going to do for your faith to be saturated in the Word of God? Never going to grow in your faith apart from your Bible. Amen? It's just not going to happen. So read the Word. Memorize it. I wrote number six, ask God to make you despair of social media and entertainment. Now, how many of y'all love social media and entertainment? I do. I follow about 600 people on Instagram that fish for trout. I follow all kinds of people who are experts in taking every bolt out of old tractors. I, I cry. I cry when I see those old tractors just, and new gaskets. It's, it's, it's beyond watching a child get born. I mean, it's amazing to watch that tractor get. Um, but here's the thing. That entertainment is easy, and it's also deadly at the same time. It's easy for me just to sit there and, and soak up hour after hour. You know, this is important. Tractors are important. Fishing is important. Uh, but they become an idol. Ask God to make you despairing of social media, entertainment, or any other idols in your life. God, make me despairing of any idol in my life. Could it be alcohol? Could it be food? Could it be money? Could it be pleasure? Anything that you rely on more than Him, God, reveal that idol to me. It's keeping me stuck in my faith, and I'm not growing. I'm not, I'm not in as love with you as I am with that, and God, forgive me for that. Guys, I wrote down quickly, read mission books and autobiographies of great missionaries. I don't know why that is absolute, that, that floods my heart with inspiration admiration, and guess what stands out to me with the missionaries is their faith. Just how they followed God and went and did the things that they did. I wrote down number eight, serve others. Get to that hospital, get to that nursing home, get out there. You say, well, who am I? I'm not anybody. Well, you know what? You're not, and I'm not either, but it's him in us. Amen? And as you begin to minister, it is amazing when you walk out of there, guess who got ministered to? Y'all ever learned this? You get the blessing. You get the, you get the ministry done to you by the Holy Spirit that's in that room. You were supposed to show up and have the words, and you got touched. That grows your faith. As you begin to not live for yourself, you begin to serve others. Number nine, I love this one. Caroline does this all the time. Listen to your favorite preacher. Just sit and soak. For me, I love to listen to David Jeremiah. I'm a David Jeremiah guy. I'm a John Piper guy. I'm a John MacArthur guy. Man, those guys get to preach, and you know what's happening in my chest as those guys are preaching and teaching the Word of God? I'm sitting there going like this. Mm. Yes, because the truth that's coming is resonating with the Holy Spirit that indwells me, and God is teaching me truth through the preached Word of God. So, guys, we, we, here's the thing. We don't listen to ourselves because what are ourselves telling ourselves? God, are you there? I'm just not feeling it. I'm feeling doubtful. I look at the world. I look at the president. I look at the Congress. Things are going to heck. And you start listening to all this. Instead of preaching to yourself, you're listening to yourself. And that's absolutely the wrong thing to do. Amen? Quit listening to yourself. 
Start preaching the truth of God to yourself and listen to people that are preaching that. Play lots of music, lots of worship music. If you're a hymn person, that's great. I love the hymns. If you're singing some of the ones we sang this morning, that's great too. But, but I found when I flip that radio on and I just start worshiping God, is God there in my worship? He's given me that worship to connect to my faith. Because when I'm done, that despair is gone. And God has put that faith in its place. Number 11, cultivate a close friend that you can share your heart with. Somebody that you can be honest with. I'm not doing too well. I don't have a lot of faith. I'm really weak. I need you to pray for me. I need you to talk to me. Don't close people out because you're ashamed of your lack of faith. Number 12, I... Find areas of unbelief. Jesus, reveal the gaps in my unbelief. Please fill them back in. Confess areas of unbelief. Are there things out there that you think God just can't do? I wrote down, keep a praise and prayer journal. I don't do this. I am not that coordinated to do that. I can tell you to do it, but I'm not doing it, okay? But a lot of people do. And they tell me how wonderful it is. Write down what God has done. That's kind of like thinking back on all those blessings that he's done. Keep a journal. Write that down. Number 15, number 14, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Take every thought captive. What's that got to do with faith? You think the devil's not busy slinging that stuff at you 24-7? We got we to say, oh, that's not from the Lord. I, I have all kinds of fearful messages that come at me all day long. Second uh, Corinthians 10.5, we take those thoughts captive. And Ephesians 6.16, what do we do? In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Y'all didn't do too well on that one, I'm sorry. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish. Who's throwing the darts at you? What's his objective? That you not be a woman of faith. That you not be a man of faith. The devil hates a man of faith. The devil hates a woman of faith. What are you going to do to become a giant in your faith? I want to tell you, it is the absolute most important goal you could ever have in your life. Let's forget about being rich. It's overrated. Forget about being handsome. Most of us will never know what that's like. Let's not worry about all these other things. What we can become is men and women of faith. Is that what you want to do? Are you commanded to do that by God himself? Yes, it's the most important thing. I would love for you to pass that on to the generations that are coming behind you. About all I remember about Grandpa Chad is he was a man of faith. That's what they, that's what they tell me. Is that your goal? I think you're going to hit the goals that you have. Make that your goal today. But be amazed at the story of Abraham. And this call that God put on him to take his son. Father, help us to realize that you've called us to some very big things. And some of those things are far bigger than we are. They require far more than we have to give. But Father, nevertheless, you are God and you call your people to big things. Father, help us not to be afraid. Help us to be men and women of faith. But Father, help us to want that. Help us to become that by your Spirit by your provision, God, we submit today. We open our hearts up to being greater people of faith. Especially today in this world that we live in, Lord. Will people disparage 
your name. They disparage your existence, God. Father, we know you have saved us. We know that you have saved us. You changed our desires. Father, help us to just be strong in this area of faith, to grow in it, to love it, to challenge each other in it. Father, may we be a church of faith that believes big things for what you can do and are going to do and are doing. And Father, we pray today for the Doucette family as they go through the death of a grandchild, God. May you touch their faith today, be their comfort, be their strength today, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your sweet name. Amen. With heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. I would like to, number one, ask, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has there been a moment in your life where you responded to Jesus, where you said yes to Jesus? He convicted you that your life was full of everything but Him. Has there been that moment of repentance where you agree, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need salvation? I'm going to be down here in the front in just a moment. Would you come? Enough of running from God. Enough from running from God. Today is the day of salvation. You know that what you have is not right, not good. It's not of Jesus. And you would say unto God today, Jesus, I receive you into my life. You've been calling me. You've been, my heart has just been experiencing conviction because of my sin. And God, I repent of that today. Perhaps you are a child of God and you would make a commitment of repentance in some area of your life and you need someone to pray with you about that. Perhaps you're just discouraged and worried and you need a word of prayer. I'm going to be down here at the front. Please be praying right now for God's Spirit to be with us in a mighty way. That's what we need, isn't it? That's what we want, the Spirit of God having His way. And I pray that His Spirit would have His way in us today. I'm just going to wait here for a moment. Is there somebody that needs salvation this morning? It's not from me. It's not from you. It's from God Himself, and He's calling you to salvation. Step out and come. Don't be ashamed. Come.